Now, recently, it's been a time of, for some young people, uh, GCSE and A-level results, and I don't know, know you well enough to know how our young people have been getting on, but I hope that you know God leading your lives through whatever the next step is. Some of you may be going to university, and if you are, um, please let me know, or if you have children who are going, it would be nice just for me to, to, to get to know you particularly uh, before, before you leave and find out what you're doing. My own daughter, uh, Naomi, is uh, about to leave to go to six months in France. She did her A-level, she's taking a year out, so Naomi will be disappearing from, from us for a family uh, for uh, six months or so. But I'm going to ask Naomi to come and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to read Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. Next Sunday is communion, and next week we will think about those words in verses 5 to 11 as we read God's word, reflect on it, as we share in communion together. Uh, but to understand verses 5 to 11, we've got to grasp verses 1 to 4. And so it's very much about uh, humility. And there are two verses that... Um, I'm going to share with you. James chapter four, verse six, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then first Peter five, verse five, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If God opposes the proud, then humility is what connects us to God. And so without humility, you're not connected with God, which means you have no future in God's plans. So humility must be the greatest and most central characteristic of being a follower of Jesus, because if you're not humble, your pride, and God is against the pride, and we don't want God to be against us. We want to be God for us, 
So we want humility, and he gives more grace to those who are humble. So we need to be humble. Are you humble? Because the moment that you think you have humility, you've lost it because you're proud of something that you have. And if you're proud that you have had humility, you've lost humility because you've become proud. I lose it because the minute that I assert I have it, um, I lose it because I claim to have it. And God is against the pride. So how can you have a quality that you can never admit to having? Are you humble? Philippians 2 helps us answer this dilemma of our spirituality, of what it means to follow Jesus. tells us what we are. Quite simply, we are glory empty. What do I mean by that? Well, verses two to three, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, in purpose. The reason that Paul has to write these words to encourage the Philippians to be one in mind, the same love, one in spirit and purpose, is because they're not. If you read the letter, there's, there's a couple of key figures in that church community and they're not getting on very well. And each one's fighting for position and priority and to hear that their voice may be heard. And so Paul has to write, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have the same love. I want you to be one in spirit and purpose because there are elements in the church that are not that. Churches have fights, divisions, just like the rest of the world. And the reason is quite simply, there's something wrong in our hearts. And Paul mentions what is wrong. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, we all know what selfish ambition is. It's ambition that's just for yourself. Uh, you don't care about anybody else. You are ambitious for you, yourself to get on in the world or to achieve this, and you don't care who you leave behind. That's one of the reasons why there's something wrong with our hearts because of this selfish ambition. But the next phrase is crucial, selfish ambition and vain conceit. The reason why we have selfish ambition and we do things out of selfish ambition, the reasons that we have divisions between other people is what is translated here as vain conceit. And really it is two words, uh, in, Paul wrote this in Greek, uh, the word kenosis for emptying and the word doxa for glory. The person who we translate as vain conceit is basically glory empty. The people who are filled with selfish ambition, their root problem is that they are glory empty. They are empty of glory in their own lives. And because they are glory empty, that emptiness drives them to hunger for honor, hunger for respect, hunger for the kind of assurance because they don't feel like a person of importance. To be glory empty is feeling I don't really count. I don't matter. I just feel like a grain in the sand and the beach. 
And so I need assurance that I am okay, that I am significant, that I'm important, that I count. And that is why there are divisions and there's selfish ambition. This is our human soul. This is, in a sense, is a sickness that we all have. We desperately look to other people to get them to say to us, you're good, you're important, you're worthwhile, you'll never be forgotten, you're significant. We're just so desperate for, for it that we often start fighting others so that we can feel this way. Lewis Smeads, a writer, says, every time you meet a new person, you're unconsciously wondering this. How can this person contribute to my need to prove that I count? And he says, life becomes a constant battle to use other people to bolster your own self. There is a problem that we have. It's a sickness what we have, this hunger for glory because we are glory empty. This need for respect, this need to be assured that we are significant within ourselves. We're glory empty. That is what we are. So what is it what we need? We need humility. If to be glory empty is a sickness that we have, then healthy, a healthy person is a humble person. Paul has says in verse two, I want you to be of one mind and spirit and purpose. I want you to be unified. But then he says, the reason you're not is because of what the King James Version says, it's vain glory, this glory emptiness, this vain conceit as the NIV translates it. So therefore, because of your pride, because of your emptiness, he encourages them in verse three, in humility then, consider others better than yourselves. In fact, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You should be humble. So what is humility? What is the humility that we need that will allow us to be of one mind and spirit, uh, one voice, uh, uh, an interrelated, loving community of God's people here? The, the, the word humility just means gentle, modest, and respectful. That you're gentle. A humble person is gentle with others. He's modest or she's modest with others. They are respectful of others. What's really interesting is that outside the New Testament, you hardly ever find this Greek word for humility. You only find it is when it's used in a derogatory sense. It's always used of slaves. It's slaves who are humble, but not respectful people. The ancient world value, valued strength. It, it value, valued social stability. And how do you create social stability? You create fear. People had to respect you. If they treated you with respect because they feared you, then society would hold together. The only way for respect was that if people feared you. And so this talk of being gentle or being uh, deference to others or modesty, that's what slaves do. Those are the characteristics of the powerless ones. And so, this word humility you hardly ever find. 
Uh, 500 years earlier, there's a Greek manuscript that lists 147 things uh, considered the best ethical advice that you could give to someone. Control yourself, return a favor, honor good people, respect your elders. 147 things um, of the best qualities of which we to live your life in humility is not mentioned in any of the 147 bits of advice. Because in the ancient world, only slaves were humble. It's where we get the word humiliation from. Uh, you're low, you're worthless, you're powerless, you have nothing. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus comes along and says, the world out there prizes itself in being strong and not being humble, but in God's eyes, only the humble will inherit the new world that is coming. Because I have come that you might have a relationship with God. But if you come and say, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you, but look at all my accomplishments. Look what I have done for you. Aren't you pleased with me? God is going to turn and say, you obviously don't know who I am, and you don't know who you are, and you don't know what the cross of Jesus Christ, my son, means for you. But if you come to God and said, Lord, I need your grace. I have nothing with which to merit your favor. You are so holy and great and loving and perfect, and my life's a bit of a mess, but I ask you that in Jesus' name, you would help me, and you'd give me strength and give me direction and be the shepherd of my life. That's what the Bible says is repentance and faith. It's humility that drives you to look to Jesus and claim his grace. It's pride that says, hey, Lord, look at me. Aren't you pleased with me? And that's why God is opposed to the proud, because they're seeking glory for themselves and they think that God owes them rather than giving glory to God for the kind of God he is. And that is why God is opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble because it's only the humble who look to him to be everything in their lives. You may lack almost any other thing, but it's humility that connects you to God. Therefore, without humility you will not know the presence and the grace of God in your life. I want you to see quickly how important this is. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century congregational minister in New England, and uh, he was part of a, wrote a lot through a, a revival time, and his wisdom comes to us 200 50 years later or so, and we think of how deep he is. And he had a, spent a lot of time thinking about humility. And he says, he says pride is four things. Uh, pride is drivenness, scornfulness, willfulness, and self-consciousness. And if we need humility, then the opposite of humility is to be driven, to be scornful, to be willful, and to be self-conscious. Now, drivenness. It's, sometimes it's good to be driven. Uh, we need to be careful about that. Uh, it's possible to be passionate, 
to be hardworking because you love the thing you're pursuing. Uh, whether it's art or music or business or education or some other academic field, you love your subject and that you are driven because of the joy of the music that you create, the art that you do, or the athletic ability that you have, the joy that you have from it. And if you get joy from it, then you're as happy if another athlete breaks the record that you're after. Or you're as happy if someone else uh, gets promoted above you in your field of work because it's the subject that gives you joy. But that's not the way life usually works because our competitive is not driven by joy. It's it's driven by our glory emptiness. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being cleverer or richer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. So Jonathan Edwards said, here's how you tell if you're a proud person. You are driven, yes, but you're driven because you need to succeed. And because you're always unhappy and you can't rejoice in the success of others because they're taking away your glory emptiness that you're trying to feel. Whereas the humble person is content with whatever circumstances they are working in content even with being imperfect, content with other people's success, it is the opposite of being driven in this way. He says also, uh, humility is the opposite of scornfulness. Uh, Scorn is what you use to put people down so that you can rise above them. Whereas humility means treating all those who are lesser than you with courtesy, with grace, with friendliness always. He says opposite of humility is willfulness. A willful person is someone who can't admit they're wrong. They can't take advice. They can't take correction. They don't like repenting. And if they repent, it's always under duress. They're not teachable. They're not open to advice. They're not willing to change their minds. They don't listen. They are willful because they are proud. And then fourthly, humility is the opposite of self-consciousness. Now, when you think of proud people, you almost always think of somebody arrogant that you might know, but that's not the only form of pride. When you think of proud people, you think of the self-promoters, the boasting all the time who draw attention to themselves, but that's not the only form of pride there is. Pride as the opposite of humility is ultimately insecurity. This need for honor this need for glory that you feel empty of. And that need can be manifested as much through an inferiority feeling as much as a superiority feeling. If you're always putting yourself down, beating yourself up, afraid of compliments, afraid of any kind of attention for yourself, it's because you're just as painfully self-aware as the person with a superiority complex You're just as absorbed in thinking about yourself and wondering, 
how am I coming across as much as the arrogant is thinking, how am I coming across? Humility is the opposite of being self-conscious. And so we come to this text. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty, uh, empty glory, glory empty, vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. How? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He did not say, you must hate yourself. He did not say, don't have any interests, don't have any goals, don't have any needs. He's not saying that here to this church. He's describing humility. Verse three, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. How? Look, not only to your own interests, you can have interests, but also to the interests of others. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm so terrible. It's not thinking more of yourself. I'm so great. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not noting yourself because you're not glory hungry. It's not always being worried about how you're looking. It's not being down in yourself. It's not being up in yourself. It's just not thinking about yourself so much. Humility is the opposite of being self-conscious and self-aware. Real humility is self-forgetfulness. You just stop thinking about yourself and you find yourself concerned with the interests of others. The best way I heard to illustrate this is to think of body parts. If you go to work tomorrow and somebody comes in and says, my elbows are feeling great today, then you're going to think the only reason they say that their elbows are feeling great today is because yesterday their elbows mustn't have felt great uh, their elbows weren't working fi fine, and uh, that's why they're saying that their elbows feel great today. If somebody says tomorrow, my knees are bending so well today, when I sit down, they bend, when I stand up, they unbend, it's just incredible. You must conclude that yesterday, or in the last few days, they were having trouble bending their knees. You would not even be thinking about your knees unless there was something wrong. You don't think about your knees unless there's something wrong with them. You don't think about your elbows unless there's something wrong with them. And so we have our ego, our sense of self. If you are healthy, you wouldn't be thinking about how you're doing, how you're looking, or what people are saying about you. You wouldn't think about it. You'd be looking at yourself. You wouldn't be looking at yourself or your own interests. You'd be looking at other things, looking at God, looking at your neighbor, looking at everybody else. But if you're always thinking about yourself, you're always get, get, getting your feelings hurt, you're feeling insulted, you feel snubbed. Why do you feel like this? Because there's something wrong with your sense of self. Just like if you're ever thinking about your elbow, it's because there was something wrong with your elbow, and that if you're always thinking about yourself, it's because there's something wrong with yourself. We're not healthy. We are glory empty. We're lacking in glory. We're vain glorious, and as a result, we're not humble at all. We're filled with drivenness, 
scornfulness, willfulness, and self-consciousness. So how do we change? And quite simply, we glory in Jesus. If we are glory empty, and humility is the answer to being glory empty, how do you get humility? Humility, you glory in Jesus. Paul here has been talking to divisions in the church. He's been talking about something very practical, fightings in the church and their need for humility. And all of a sudden, he bursts out in praise of Jesus. And here's the reason why he bursts out in Jesus. He says, you cannot, because you cannot work on humility directly. It's a byproduct of something else. That's why the question, are you humble? You can't answer that because humility is not something that you seek. Humility is the byproduct of actually seeking something else. And if you seek to glorify Jesus to fill your glory emptiness, the byproduct is humility and you don't even realize it because you're not aware of it anymore. Being self-conscious is not something that drives your life anymore. The only way you can possibly, possibly work on humility is actually to forget about pursuing it and achieving it and just glory in Jesus. The only way you're going to fix your glory empty self with its drivenness and its scorefulness and its willfulness and its self-consciousness is to learn to glory in Jesus. So next Sunday we will do this as we reflect on what Paul goes on to say in verses, verses 5 to 11, and as we share in communion together. And how you develop humility, not by looking at yourself, but by looking at him. But in this week ahead, find a quiet place where you can regularly hear Jesus say to you, in me and to me, you are more precious than all the jewels that lie beneath the earth, than all the successes that you may have in your working life. Why do you care about others? Why do you mind what they, you look like there? Who cares about your reputation when you know that I love you so preciously as this? If your glory and a glory empty person, it's because you have not been captured by Jesus' great love for you and his interest in everything that your life is a part. And so this is kind of part one of part two sermon to carry on next week, that as we reflect on Jesus, as we realize how precious his love is for you and me, particularly on the cross, then we will glorify in how great his love and his care is for every one of us, no matter how insignificant we may feel in this earthly journey. Let us pray. Father, we talk a lot about humility, but it's a gift that is not something we ever get by asking for it or looking for it, but it's the byproduct of learning to follow Jesus, looking at what he's done for us and that catches fire in our hearts and it changes us. And so, Lord, may your spirit shine the spotlight of your love on Jesus' great love and interest in all our lives that will help us 
with the sickness of our souls that results in drivenness and scornfulness of others and willfulness and even self-consciousness. Make us like your son who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the faith, the good news that you have touched our lives with, that Jesus is the answer to all our broken, empty hearts. Fill us today, Lord, with your love. You, the creator of the universe, who has loved us in Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.